Hello, and welcome to Breakaway, Leadership for a Sound Mind and Body, brought to you by the University of Michigan Leadership Collaborative, a community dedicated to advancing leadership learning across the university for students who seek to develop and progress as leaders. I'm James McRae, and I'm your guide on this podcast journey. In this series, we're asking you to break away from the norms of your daily routines to explore the challenges that leaders face in developing healthy habits that fuel the mind and body. So I'm inviting you to take this opportunity to do something you consider physically active while we engage you mentally. Today, the Alumni Association's Lead Scholar Program hosts a panel discussion with alumnas Andrea Robb, 96, Terika Richardson, 2000, and Chidi Boza, 2018. These prominent Michigan alumna discuss their career paths and talk to students about their journeys navigating the dynamics of holding leadership roles as women. So let's join the panel as we all break away. So again, my name is Ayana McConnell, uh, Vice President for University Relations at the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan. And just yesterday, someone asked me, how long have you been there? What brought you there? So I wanted to share that before we open up the panel discussion today. Um, about 10 years ago, um, almost 11 years ago, I got a call from Steve Grafton who talked about this wonderful diversity scholarship that the Alumni Association had just started in response to Prop 2. And they were looking to um, invite someone to join the association and build a community for the students. So even then, as the association was using these dollars to recruit phenomenal students to say yes and come to Michigan, they were already thinking, how can we support those students once they get here. So that was a dream job. I was working at Eastern Michigan at the at the time and talked to my husband about it and said, wait, someone's going to pay me to build community for phenomenal students at Michigan to support them and give them access to alumni and make sure that they graduate with all of the confidence in the world. Sign me up, please. So then you have that delicate dance of, well, I don't know if I really want the job. So I really want the job. Do they really want me? And so as Nakaya and so many others have said, imposter syndrome shows up throughout your career. But it is so important to surround yourselves with community, with peers, with mentors who are aspirational, or peers who are younger than you and know new things that you don't um, to help you along your path. So today is one of my favorite days of the year. I'm so excited to connect all of you who are in the room with all of these phenomenal women online. Um, and this really is an opportunity for you to learn from them and to learn from each other. Before before we get started, I will ask that the um, ladies in the room and those of you online get your notepads out, get your phones out, however you take notes, because um, you are going to hear some gems of information and wisdom today. So I'm going to start by introducing the panelists one at a time and asking them an opening question. And the first person I'm going to introduce is Chidi Boza. And I have goosebumps because I remember when she got to Michigan as a freshman and the fact that she's on this panel today just speaks to so much about how wonderful she's doing um, with life after graduation, but really the commitment that she and other students have to lead long after they're here. So hi, Chidi, how are you? 
Good, how are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful. It's so good to see you. So she is a lead alumna and also an alum, of course, of the University of Michigan with a bachelor's in science and engineering, um, industrial operations engineering. And she's a product manager for Permapure LLC, a leading manufacturer of gas conditioning products used in medical, industrial, and scientific applications. Chidi focuses on strategic growth and demand generation for one of their key products used in respiratory markets. And so based on the lesson that you taught us, you're going to have to explain what that means. So I don't go for 24 <laughs> hours not knowing what that means. Um, but she also enjoys traveling, spending time with friends and family, like eating out and streaming popular shows, baking and playing the piano. So Chidi, I have two questions for you. The first, <laughs> what are you watching, of course? And then the second is, how did experiences like attending Women in Lead and other programs um, at U of M help you while you were a student and then after graduation? Okay, so firstly, what I'm watching right now, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Dope Sick. It's on Hulu, um, but it talks about Purdue Pharma and everything that happened in the late 90s with the opioid crisis. It's a very great show. Um, next question. So the lead lunches. When I was a student, I attended maybe two or three of these women um, lunches. I realized, so I kept, I don't throw anything out. I kept one of the journals. And um, Ellen, I think you were actually at one of the lunches that I attended. But the big takeaway that I got um, was that you should be willing to do jobs that you may not know how to do. And for a student, as you're looking for internships, and then when you're looking for that post-grad job experience, it's kind of scary because you, I'm getting this degree, I want to be able to apply each thing that I'm learning into what I'm doing. And that's just not going to happen. You have to be comfortable with that. And for me, um, I was in industrial and operations engineering because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I wanted that mix of business and engineering in, in my role. And so I ended up going for a rotational program where I was moving roles in industries within one larger business for two years. And so that meant I had to really get comfortable not knowing what I, being comfortable not knowing what I um, was doing, and what the job was, because I knew I would be put into areas where um, the roles are going to be different, the goals are different, and I just have to ask thoughtful questions. So what's crazy is a few weeks ago, I was on a call with um, an older manager, just doing like a bit of a catch up. And he worked in the role that I currently work in a product manager role, the first 15 years of his career. And I asked, um, what is like one big takeaway that you got from that time? And he said, saying yes to jobs that you may not know how to do. And I was like, oh, look at that connection over the years. But um, he said that what that meant was that he was able to go and stretch himself in areas that he may not have explored. So he might have thought that one industry or specific type of role was good for him. And then because of what the business needed, he was able to go into other areas and truly grow and lead new teams. And so it's really stuck with me. It's something that I'm still every time I'm doing something new, I'm like, what can I learn here? And every day I'm still learning something new. But I think being comfortable with that as you look for your careers um, is going to be really valuable. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I love that you still have your journal from that Women in Lead <laughs> event and you can go back and see those um, reflections and notes that you took down. Thank you for sharing that. 
Um, next, we have Terika Richardson, who is an accomplished healthcare executive. She recently joined Ardent Health Services as their chief operating officer and has a commitment to place the patient at the center of every decision while creating measurable operational movements. She has both her undergrad degree and in, in biopsychology and cognitive science, which I believe Addie is pursuing as well, um, and a master's degree in public health from the University of Michigan. And I also just want to add that Terika and her husband, eBay, are generous donors to the LEAD program, but they're also members of the RAISE, which is a network of alumni who are focused on advancing black philanthropy at Michigan. Um, and then Terika, you just have to know, is just phenomenal. She's a mom, she's just a dynamic speaker, but she is someone who raises her hand personally to say, what can I do at Michigan? And so we're just so grateful she could be here. Um, so Terika, two questions for you. Um, one is, how was your transition to your new role? Because I believe the new role was in Nashville and your family's yes. potentially in Chicago, right? Um, so yeah. we'd love to hear how that's going. And then talk to us about um, the health disparities and how they've been uncovered in the past year um, and how you're at the forefront of change in that area. Well, first of all, thank you all so much for having me. And I just wanted to pause before I go there and just say congratulations again to you, Ayana. Ayana and I also were at University of Michigan during the same time frame from undergrad. And so to see this movement is major. I just want to once again, just give you a platform to say congratulations and keep going. Thank you. Um, yes. So transition. Yes, I am just about uh, 65 days in, but who's counting, uh, into my <laughs> new role <laughs> as Chief Operating Officer for Art and Health Services. And uh, transition has been quite amazing. I, I tell you, uh, having a family who's currently in Chicago, working in, I'm working in Nashville, and all of our uh, hospitals are across the country. So I travel a week and then I'm in my home base of Nashville for a week. And then I fly home on the weekends to wow. uh, see my children and husband. So it's been very, very interesting. Um, I have to say one of the things that I had to pause about and just really reflect upon over the last 65 days is that I could not do any of this if I did not have a network of support. And from family, my husband, um, friends who stepped in and cooked meals and helped children <laughs> with homework, um, all of those things, you, you go back to that network, right, of people who help you kind of raise yourself to the position that you are in. And there's a whole network of people who stand behind you and beside you, kind of like Verizon. And I truly subscribe <laughs> to that. So to my network, thank you out there, even though you don't hear me say that, you know, thank you so much. The other thing I, I would say, um, transition also teaches you uh, just how much intestinal fortitude you have. Uh, and, and I just want to acknowledge that I, I had a moment within the first 60 days and I'm like, okay, did, what, what did I just subscribe myself to here? <laughs> and have I really thought this through? And I think if, you, if you're not honest with yourself and say, hey, you know, transition is hard and you, you, you sometimes doubt, hey, did I make the right decision? Uh, it probably is not real. So I just want to put that out there. Um, the second question you asked regarding health disparities, you know, I have to say the last 18 months in healthcare, uh, just in the world, has truly been remarkable. And it's been another test of, of our intestinal fortitude within healthcare as leaders, as clinicians, as people who are working every day to try to eradicate uh, this pandemic and at least get it to an endemic state. 
Um, one thing I will say that that kind of creates even more of a fire in the belly for me is when I look at how disproportionately uh, communities of color, communities are, who are in economic um, uh, disadvantage uh, sort of have been impacted by this pandemic, it's truly sobering. And then when you couple it with the uptake or the lack thereof in these communities, oftentimes of the vaccine, which we know is truly our ticket out of this pandemic, uh, it, it is really, uh, once again, um, caused me to rethink how as a healthcare leader, how do we ensure the safety of our communities and how do we continue to have dialogue about the healthcare industry and make that something that everybody feels like they can trust. We've lost trust in our healthcare system. And, and people have uh, taken it upon themselves, you know, right? We have so much information at our fingertips to determine whether or not they should engage uh, in, in creating an environment of safety for themselves and their family through vaccines or not. And there's a lot of views back and forth, but I will tell you, when we look at how this, this pandemic has truly um, impacted so many people of color, so many people who have not decided to partake in, in, in vaccine, it's really, really sobering. And I, and I wanna pause again and just say um, that when we talk about uh, this notion of safety and trust, um, it's something that as leaders right now, we're all working to do, but it's a grassroots effort. It's a conversation with a friend. It's an environment um, where you're sitting around a kitchen table and saying, you know, are we really able to weather the next phase of this storm? And I think that we've all taken upon ourselves to sit down and have those conversations. And I encourage all of you all to do the same, have that conversation, have the dialogue. We have to uh, take care of each other. And the first way to do that is to communicate. So thank you. Thank you so much, Terika. Um, and I love how you just made change very accessible. Sometimes when we talk about battling something, um, whether it's you know social injustice or healthcare disparities, and people say, "I don't know what to do or where to start," start with that conversation with the people that are already in your ecosystem. So thank you for making that accessible to all of us. Um, our last panelist is Andrea Robb. Um, Andrea graduated in 1996 from uh, the College of Literature, Science, and Arts. She is currently an entrepreneur and advisor on the future of work and education, having founded Andrea Robb Consulting. And I can say from personal experience, Andrea has been invaluable as a board member helping us reimagine the workplace. Um, and always, she's the one in the room who make sure we do things with intention. She asked why. We had a beautiful conversation this spring when I talked about um, the need to be gracious and flexible um, when you think about workplace uh, planning or workforce planning. And Andrea said, and don't forget liberation. And that's something that I've been carrying with me since then. She um, works with organizations currently in the public and private sectors that seek modern ideas for work. She's a former HR leader at Lucasfilm, Airbnb, and Autodesk. And again, when Andrea came to the um, Alumni Center after giving us a lot of wonderful and needed feedback about renovating the um, Alumni Center, she said, oh, it kind of reminds me of Airbnb headquarters. And of course, we thought that was like the highest compliment. She holds a master's in education and public policy from the Harvard Graduate School. She was 
was a three-time, I'm sorry, three-term angel scholar when she majored in psychology here at U of M. And she's just a wonderful friend and colleague. So please welcome Andrea. And uh, Andrea, I want you to talk a little bit about how to handle change, especially when it's unexpected, but even when it's expected, what's your philosophy on managing change in high in San Francisco? Hey, good morning for me. Anyway, morning. I'm glad we had Paul back this morning. Um, Ayana, thank you so much. And I will join the chorus of congratulations to you and the other women in the Alumni Association who recently experienced well-deserved promotions. Um, so congrats to you. Thank you. Um, so um, change is the only thing constant is change, as they say. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the baby of six kids and my parents were noting recently to me and my siblings that, you know, they, they marvel at how much change all of their kids navigate in their careers. And I think that's just the reality of business and just our, our public institutions are all changing and reacting to um, good and bad global trends, local trends. So I think it's really important to think about what your change strategy is. And, and so speaking to all of you who really probably are fairly, I mean, I will say, I'm sure every single one of you are high achieving women. And um, as women, I think we often think we have to do a little bit more to show that we are um, standing up to the challenges of business, of school, academia, and I think that um, it's really for me in, in my career, the thing that probably has served me more than anything else is really no matter what change was happening around me within my family or within um, my professional career is to really just come back to center around what I love to do and what I'm here to do. So two things I'd say, um, no matter where you are, like right now, um, Think about what you love to do and then make that list. It can be three things. It can be five things. It can be one thing. But what do you really love to do and what are you here to do? So for me, I really want to create more belonging in the world. I think that um, so many times, I mean, I've experienced it from a privilege standpoint. I just wrote about this recently when I went to Michigan. I assumed I belonged because my family had been there. And I know not everyone walks into that campus thinking I belong here. And so it takes work. And so all that you're doing to show up and to really take advice, learn, and really explore your own journey, I think is super important. So make sure you understand what you love and what you want to do in the world. And those will be your, that will be your grounding and your North Star through every change. And when you are in the middle of change, I think you'll be more ready. If it's, you know, I've been laid off before, it happens, I'm in Silicon Valley, things are, you know, you take risks, you jump in, and then suddenly you don't have a job. Those things serve me really well. Um, so when you're in that change, here's what I'd say, three things. One, make sure you pause and really don't jump into the next thing right away. I think that comes from more of a point of anxiety. Um, number two, play if you can. You're all hardworking women. And I think the things that I remember most from those transition points is like 
running out by the beach, which I rarely get to do. I live on the ocean and I was rarely there. Um, during the pandemic, I got to know my neighborhood really well when our kids were at home and I was building my business. Um, so just making sure you are pausing and playing and finding that space, because that's going to fuel you for what's next. And then when you think about what's next, remember that every new role, you have an opportunity to learn something new and that's for you. It will serve you in your role, um, but it also will just serve you in life. So when I left Lucasfilm, I, I had lots of opportunities to go into Silicon Valley as an executive um, and talk to a lot of people about chief people officer roles. And I would say, and I didn't take any of them. Um, and I started the first iteration of my own business at that point. And I put a little parentheses before my search, which was research. And I just wanted to talk to people. And I was very clear, like, I want to learn what this role is looking like today. And I found that the role wasn't well defined out in Silicon Valley. And I felt like I wanted to learn, well, what is going, in these going on in these high growth companies so interestingly, I started my own company and Airbnb became my biggest client. I ended up going on the inside. And when I did, I decided I am going to choose to learn how high growth companies work. That is my goal. So no matter what else happens here and no matter what role I'm in, no matter the challenges, I'm going to try to really learn how these groups work so that I can apply it to my next thing. So think about your learning goal, not just your achievement goal. Um, and I think it'll serve you well. So pause and play and make sure you know what you're wanting to learn next. So that's it for me. Thank you so much. I just took a couple of notes uh, about pausing and playing. Um, and I just wanna offer this piece of advice to all of um, everyone who's listening, students and alum, we don't play enough. Do, we, do you feel like you play enough? Probably not. Think about what that means. And I think um, that was a very generous definition, whether it's running, whether it's napping, <laughs> whether it's just walking outside, especially, you know, here in Michigan, the leaves are turning beautiful colors. And I know it feels like, you know, the world is going to end if you don't spend that, you know, extra second studying or um, fulfilling one of your many student org roles or whatever you have to do, but just pause and play because I don't think anyone ever got to the end of their life and wish they had sent like one more email or one more message. So please play more. Okay, so the second question um, is gonna go to all of you and Terika, why don't you get us started um, with the answer is, what did your time at Michigan how did that shape, you know, your career? I mean, you can, you know, elevate one or two lessons from Michigan. You can talk about a life stage at Michigan, however you want to answer that. And we'll go Terika, Chidi, and Andrea. You know, I think a lot of it we touched upon earlier, but I will say one particular instance at the university changed the trajectory of my life. And I'll never forget it. I was walking uh, down the uh, front of the, of the Michigan Union and I ran into a friend and he was probably six years um, ahead of me. So he was in graduate school at the time. And I asked him what he was doing. Uh, and he said, hey, I'm in the, uh, the School of Public Health. And I had never heard of the School of Public Health. And he was telling me about his career and what he was attempting to do. And it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, that is exactly what I want. And it goes to this point that I think we made earlier 
it's about the networking, about networking with people and, and understanding while you're there, the realm of possibility, because you can't be what you can't see. And for me, I had never seen somebody go through this program or go through the school of public health, didn't really understand the differences. I thought, you know, there were so there was only one way to be in the medical community, and that's as a as a clinician, right? As a physician or as a nurse. I was a freshman at the time. So I, I say that make sure that you network, continue to network. Um, that that is probably one of the greatest sources of wealth that I garnered from the university are the people I have encountered and the people who have who I could keep in contact with today. So many of them were further from those first four years that I was at the university. So uh, it, it changed my life that day, that fateful day in front of the Michigan Union. I'm sure that everybody on this panel has had one of those types of moments. Thank you. Yeah, so two things. One kind of similar to Terika's, but it's around professional development. Um, so LEAD offers you a lot of opportunities to go and meet um, alumni, people working in specific industries, but then across the campus, anytime that there's career fairs or little business events, there's opportunities to develop your resume, your elevator pitch, all of that. And I made a point at one point, just especially senior year, to really go after all of those opportunities because I didn't know it would come from that. So for me, engineering, I don't know if you guys have ever walked through the dude around engineering career fair time, but it's very hectic. A lot is going on and it's super exhausting. Um, and I did that for two days and didn't really find anything I was looking for. And so I was like, okay, let me see if there's any other professional development, career opportunity things happening. And the next day there was one happening in my major. So it was the IOE career fair, just a smaller event. And during that event, actually that's where I found the company that I ended up getting a job. I wasn't going to go, I had to miss class to go to this thing, but I was like, no, this is an opportunity. I don't know what companies are going to be there and there something could come from it and something did. So definitely take advantage of any of those opportunities because you don't know who you'll meet or what type of role you'll learn about that ends up being something you really enjoy. And then the second piece has to do with all of the group projects. I'm sure all of you have, have had that experience so far of working with people. Everyone at Michigan though has a lot going on. So there's different priorities for each person on the team and learning that, you know, what when someone some people are going to be busier at other times, at certain times versus other times, and getting to understanding how to manage that amongst the team, but still fulfill the objective that you have will be really helpful once you hit the working world, because you are going to be thrown into situations where you're given a team and you have to manage um, all of their perspectives in order to get where you're trying to go. Excellent. Thank you. Andrea? Yeah, I think that... Um, Similar to Terika and Chidi, I think there's um, there's sort of this beautiful happenstance story that I think um, that the university provides. It's a large place, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. And so, to um, a couple of things, I'd say is um, one: just listen deeply to all of the different stories, ideas, thoughts that are being, um, that are kind of going on around you, whether it's other people who are studying different things, uh, researchers or, or faculty that are exploring a new territory that sort of is adjacent to what you're interested in. I think that um, for me, um, you have to 
at the University of Michigan, you know, it brings confidence to, to be part of that university, but it also brings great humility. Like there is amazing stuff going on around you. And so taking small little moments to, you know, sort of join into a group or a um, line of research can start to help you explore what, what lights you up. So for me, that moment at U of M was, um, I took a class for, I think it was one credit and it changed the kind of course of my academic uh, journey. Um, there was a course on basically attending the Society for Research and Human Development. So you would go to a conference and you'd walk around and read poster boards about research and child development. And I had one professor who really felt that I'd be great in the research field in psychology. And she really was encouraging me to look at a PhD. So I took this class thinking, well, what, what do you do as a researcher out in the world? Um, and it turns out I should never have been a researcher. I have do, do not have the, like diligence for that type of work. I'm more of a creator. And, and um, I didn't quite know that yet. And one of the things you have to look out for is when people, it's like the curse of competence for women at a college like that. Like you can be good at a lot of things, but are you really loving it? Are you really great at it? Um, and so what I actually found was it was interesting, but I didn't think that was going to be my future sitting in a large conference room, reading out my abstract to people and, and talking about it. But I did meet a professor um, who was at the Harvard School of Education studying a very specific, she was in a specific school called, uh, I got my master's in risk and prevention and early childhood zero to five. It was so ridiculously specific, but I still remember that interaction. I met her at that conference. She told me to contact her if I had interest in it. And what I loved about it is she brought the research around child development with the public policy at the Kennedy School at, at Harvard there. And I really learned how to become a systems thinker, which is really what I am more likely to be and do in the world. And it, that just like one little class opened up a whole world of different types of thinking, which in my case, it was thinking in public policy, which is really where where I took my career um, in the private sector as well. Thank you, Andrea. Who knew a one credit class, again, could really um, help lay the foundation of what was gonna be your career. Thank you for sharing that story. So I'm gonna have one more question for the panel and then open it up. So if everyone can get their thinking caps on and start um, jotting down what your questions are for the panel. Um, Anyone can start on this one. And the question is, when you think back on 2020, including the global pandemic with local impact, the social injustices, and the election of the first female vice president of the United States, so a lot going on in 2020, what are one or two lessons that you took away from that year? I, I would say one of the things that I walked away from 2020 really understanding is the power of each individual, like I just really believe we all had to dig really deep into ourselves in 2020. And regardless of where you were, regardless of your political views, regardless of all of the things that happened last year, um, it really caused me and I think a lot of people to um, question myself in a different way, question my impact in this world, question my purpose and how I was showing up each and every day and how was I organizing myself 
to have a meaningful impact and kind of be that change that I needed to see in this world <laughs> in order for my children to, to, for me to feel about my children being raised here and living here. So um, I think that for me was my 2020 sort of aha or what I gleaned from all of this. And, you know, translating that into action is part of what I've been working to do in 2021. Like, what boards do I want to be a part of? How do I want to make sure that I'm bringing leaders along with me? I have a responsibility to, to do that. Um, and, I, and I encourage, this is something I wanted to just share with this group. There is somebody who is today hoping they can sit in your seat at that table. And you, we all can be mentors, right? We all talk about mentorship and how important it is. Well, in order for there to be enough mentors, someone has to step up. And even today, you sitting in that table, you can be a mentor. So I, I think that's a, a big part of this uh, of work is to constantly bring people with us. 2020 is, uh, was about, for me, how do I engage uh, in the things that I want to see change in a meaningful way? Thank you, Terika. And it's so true. I'm thinking about all the students who just submitted their applications for early action to University of Michigan who hope to be on campus and would love to be in this room next year. So absolutely correct, Terika. Um, Andrea Orchidi. Yeah, so that was great, Terika. Um, agree with all of those points. It's very, last year showed me the value of one, empathizing with other people that are different from you. Mm -hmm. um, but also that it's very hard for change to happen if there's just a small group that's emphasizing the issue. Um, and by getting a lot of people involved, which is what happened last year and everyone taking some form of action, you can start to really push for that change. Um, I used to think, oh, there's not much I can do other than you know, do a protest here or there, donate a little bit, but there are things in your job amongst your group of friends that you can do that really push the issue. So I wasn't, um, for my job, recruitment anytime that they were going to Michigan I always was making sure I was present and could meet a lot of the people that were interested and just tell them about the role and what they could gain but beyond that um, where that my role was actually recruiting there were a lot of places they weren't going and so I said okay there are schools there are groups on campus diverse groups on campus that we can engage with to really change who's entering this program and entering that business and that's something I'd never fully gotten involved in before but um, last year showed me I can, and I can, by doing that, I can create a lot of change within that, my one business. Thank you for that. Andrea? Yeah, so two things. One is the reminder that we, the whole world got, that we need to um, connect with those we live with and those those we share space with in a meaningful way, we were forced to be together through um, the shutdown. And um, I've always really enjoyed that time with my family, but to really prioritize it, I think it it re it reshuffled that focus. Um, and I've been in a proponent and advocate for that for for a long time. I, I believe that we need to come home. Um, to ourselves and to our families regularly in our professional careers. And uh, my husband and I often, we use this phrase lead parent, which means at times um, he's leading as the parent at times I was leading as a parent. And during the pandemic, I actually, right before the pandemic, I quit my job to 
take care of my kids. They had a school challenge where their school shut down and I needed to get them into a new school in San Francisco. And I, there was no way I could do that while also traveling with my job as much as I was and the demands of it. So I think just coming home to that and knowing I'll never regret making a decision that's for my people first and then and then career work can fall from there. Um, so I would say that's one thing. And then in my profession, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and the ensuing um, emphasis on social justice was a, a really nice reminder for me to, not a nice reminder, a very harsh reminder of how we need to constantly be weaving belonging and diversity and in throughout all of our careers and through every project I take on, my clients know I'm going to be looking at fairness and equity and how we create solutions for people at work. So whether it's hiring, whether it's promotions, performance, succession planning, that there are many, many ways that we can introduce bias and how we decide on who gets what um, projects, who gets what roles. And so for me, it wasn't one particular thing I picked up in response to that moment. It was, how do I make sure every client knows that that is going to be part of everything I am looking at and having the confidence to know that like, that's the right thing to do. And I will always weave that through the work I'm doing. And I love the work that I get to do at the alumni association on the board, because this program exists. And it was one of the things that attracted me to take on the volunteer position to be on the board. So just a reminder to keep weaving it through everything I'm doing. Thank you. And I'm just going to add an answer to what um, the panelists said is just being intentional with your time and your attention. Um, I think when you're forced to not go anywhere and you start to see how you used to spend your time, um, that really gives you um, an opportunity to maybe redirect some of your energies. I have a nine-year-old daughter, um, Ryan, and one day she asked me what I was doing and I had my phone in my hand and I was trying to pay attention to her and I was just like, oh, Ryan, I'm playing with you. And she's just like, no, you're not, mom. You need to play with me with two hands. And I've been walking around with that. She's like two hands and basically give me your full attention. You can't do two things well. So give me your two hands, your attention. And so I just invite you to think about like, where do you put your two hands? Where do you put your full attention um, as you progress forward? So at this time, I am just going to ask if there are any um, women in the room who would like to raise a question to the panel while we have their attention. Um, and we can go in any particular order. If you have written down a question, please raise your hand and we will bring the mic to you. Hi, um, my name is Chloe. I am a junior studying directing in the School of Music, Theater and Dance. Um, and I was just wondering, it's a bit of a more personal question, but how do you all kind of balance having such full and successful careers while also raising and uh, fostering a family? Like how do you kind of balance that that need to be present in your work life and the need to be present in your family life as well? This is probably one of the hardest things uh, that I have encountered. And, you know, Andrea, and you know, you have children as well. Um, this notion of balance. And I, I question sometimes, does balance really exist? And what I mean by that is, I think we are all juggling different things and we have multiple um, sort of interests in multiple uh, areas that we are engaged in. 
And how do we keep that ball up in the air simultaneously with other things? Uh, you're constantly going to have to shift your focus, right? You're going to constantly focus on one thing at a time. And, and that may mean one of the balls is starting to fall because you've shifted your focus, but then you go back and you hit it again. Is it balance? Maybe, but to me, balance means that everything is in a symbiotic sort of state. And I know in my world and with my family and with work, sometimes things fall out of whack and I have to shift my, my gaze again, you know? It may be a week that's really focused on children and focused on their activities and focusing on enriching their lives and maybe work is less of a priority at that time. Or it may be a moment where I'm focusing on my health, right? And the things that I need as an individual to be able to keep these things up in the air. And so I, I just encourage you to figure out your cadence of how to keep the ball in the air, what's, what's most important, what should be a ball for you, defining that. Um, and however you determine your balance, I think is the most important, whether that is balance or juggling, whatever you wanna call it, um, it's an individual sort of uh, pursuit. I'm happy to, to chime in there too. I think, um, you know, many of you probably, you may or may not want a family and you may just can't even imagine it. So I think um, putting myself back in my younger years, I think I moved to San Francisco and never came back. Um, one, one thing I did along those lines is once I realized we were living here, I was like, oh, we own a home. Our kids are in school here. I guess we live here. And my husband happens to be from Michigan too. Um, so we decided at that point to ensure we got home for three to four weeks a year and just make that a reality with our employers. So we would, um, and this is pre like remote working as a, as a norm, but we decided to just prioritize it. So when I took jobs, I'd say, I am often away for two to three, sometimes four weeks in August, I will work part of that time. And my husband and I would sort of take turns, but in turn, my kids now feel like they, that Michigan's part of their growing up and they know my family there and they know my husband's family. And so just making those types of decisions that prioritize the things as, you know, um, as Tarika said, like what balls matter to you. And for us, we realized, you know, like, well, we may live in California, but we love our family and we love Michigan. So let's just make sure we get back and prioritize that. So that'd be one thing. It's just make intentional choices around what things matter. Um, and then um, in, in terms of family at home, I think that um, I would agree there's no such thing as balance. It's, it's, it's to me blending. How do I blend the life I lead as a mother and the life I lead as a, uh, as a leader and I'm a daughter and a sister. So I am often very um, open about what's going on in my life, who I care about. I share that I'm one of many kids with lots of people. So they know like I have lots of family obligations I care about. Um, but also I kind of ran into this when I was working at Lucasfilm, um, George Lucas, he raised three kids on his own. So he prioritized that he would have daycare for families. And it was a huge bonus to have that, not only because I, my kids could show up there, but my coworkers knew Will and Tori, they, they knew them like their own. And so when I went to Airbnb, I decided like, I'm going to continue to choose to bring them to work. So if they had days off, 
I would work with my colleagues and say like, hey, my Will and Tori are going to be here and I've got meetings, but we're going to go to lunch. And I would just make sure that my kids were present and accounted for and known in all of my workplaces. And I think that makes a difference because my kids then know what I do. They would sometimes sit in meetings when appropriate. And um, they kind of understood like what mom's doing at work. And that to me is is how I chose to blend work. Um, now I work at home and I have to lock the door and tell them not to come in sometimes. But other than that, they know what I'm doing um, and they see people that I work with on Zoom. And I think that's just like give and take of knowing they know my workers, my, my work relationships and my work relationships know my kids. I think just goes a long way. So don't be afraid to be all that you are um, where appropriate and when you can. Thank you, Andrea. I'm just going to chime in here. Um, one thing is, especially as you're starting out with your careers, is defining what family means to you. So it doesn't always mean that you're a parent. It could mean that you have a partner in your life. It could mean that you have other people in your lives. It could mean that your friends are like family and you still want to protect those relationships. So don't feel like you have to wait until if you choose to have children or have children, wait until that point to start protecting that family life. But family life starts immediately um, is one thing. And then the second is I really appreciate kind of that integration and in, of your family, however it's defined with your workplace. I mean, many of you who were at the um, event we held outside the Alumni Center saw Ryan was here with me <laughs> trying to help pass out pizza. So when there's opportunities to kind of show up and be your full self, I think it just makes people appreciate um, and also respect the boundaries that you set in place for yourself. Um, do we have any more questions in the room before I turn to the virtual? world to see if there are questions um, that Shamila sees. Any questions here in the room? Um, hi, I'm Sienna Smith. I'm a, also a biomedical engineering major. And my question was, um, there's just so many things that we can do with our summers, like internships and research and jobs and travel and whatever. Um, I just wanted to hear a little bit about like some things you guys did with your summers, whether it was during your undergrad or grad school, so. Yeah, so um, to start off college, I knew that Initially, I'd have to take some classes in the summer because I was trying to make sure I got into that four years. So I did take classes the summer after freshman year, but after sophomore and junior year, I decided to look at internships and make sure that somewhere in that summer, there was still some off time to kind of rest and reflect in between school. Um, so definitely internships is a way, but I also highly recommend if you can, studying abroad and getting some sort of global experience. I ended up doing that during a semester, but I do know people who did that in the summer. I think every one of us who did it, regardless of our major, um, found it really interesting and impactful in our overall college experience. So if you can get that, definitely try and place that somewhere. I would double down on travel if you can. Um, I often, it, and it, it can be expensive. So one thing I did is, um, there was a, I went to the career office, I think at LSA and found out about this program called the British Universities North America Club. And it allowed you to have a student visa up to 12 months after you graduated. So I was done with my coursework and I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. So I took my GREs overseas. I spent 12 months and, and it was almost like a gap year. And then I went to grad school. Um, but I got to work and then I was able to pay for that experience. And the bonus was I met my husband in Edinburgh who happened to be in Michigan and we've been together for 
27 years or something since then. So get out in the world. And, and I just played, you know, I didn't do anything super serious. It was pretty fun. Another suggestion for summer experiences. James McRae uh, is, is speaking on behalf of the Alumni Association and saying, working at Camp Michigania up north in our uh, in Boyne City, Michigan is actually a great way to enjoy your summer and connect with alumni who are attending the alumni camp. So I, I love that idea. Um, but other than that, I think we are, uh, we are all wrapped up here, Ayana. Okay, thanks so much, Shamila. And before I turn it over to Phyllis, I just want to acknowledge all of the collective superpowers that went into planning this event, the lead team, our events team, our tech team, um, specifically James and Eric, Natalie Kay, who's not here with us, Tamara, Phyllis, they just had a vision um, for how to bring together folks from all over the country with um, all of these wonderful scholars in Ann Arbor. So thank you to them for making this happen. And I'm gonna turn it over to Phyllis. Thank you for another wonderful year and go blue. All right. So, wow. I, I couldn't write down all the things that I wanted to fast enough, but one of the things I just loved was the, the pause and play, Andrea. Thank you so much for that one. Um, some of you guys know that I, I ballroom dance. I don't have any kids. I don't have any dogs. I don't have anybody else but me worry about, but I ballroom dance. I go all around the country and do that kind of thing, but you need something in your life that you can look forward to that gives you a skill that brings you fun and expands your horizons outside of what you do for your nine to five type of a job. So definitely keep those things in mind. Um, I just wanna say again, thank you, thank you. This has been a great gathering. We've had some amazing um, alumni participation um, uh, from the Zoom call. I appreciate you guys stepping up and sharing your perspectives and your knowledge and everything with us. And then again, our alum, uh, alums on the panelists, um, can you please just give them another round of applause? They were amazing. A big thank you to Andrea Robb, Terika Richardson, and Chidi Boza for sharing their uplifting and inspiring journeys. While that's the end of this episode, your reflection on the topic doesn't have to stop here. Visit mlead.umich.edu breakaway. There, you will find more information on our guests as well as discussion questions about this topic for you to ponder on your own or discuss in a group. Make sure you check out our website for more episodes in this series, and don't forget to leave feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. And finally, on behalf of the Michigan Leadership Collaborative, please take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening, and go Blue.